Welcome to another American Bankruptcy Institute podcast. I'm Sam Giordano, ABI Executive Director. No state has been more battered by the foreclosure crisis than California, with severe consequences for homeowners and communities alike. In the inland stretches of the state, cities are facing foreclosure rates at four times the national average. Local government officials, desperate for a solution, are considering a controversial fix for troubled mortgages to condemn them. Officials from San Bernardino County, in addition to readying their own Chapter 9 filing, have joined with two other cities to consider a plan to use eminent domain to seize underwater but performing mortgages, then rewrite them so the borrowers would have lower monthly payments. The county would pay investors what the county considers fair value for the seized mortgages. The plan has the benign-sounding name of the Homeowner Protection Plan. It's sold as a win-win. That is, underwater homeowners will get lower mortgage payments, and cities will reduce the exodus of foreclosed homes from the market and tax base. Meanwhile, the pension funds and other investors in those mortgages would be no worse off after the markdown to fair market value. Needless to say, the plan has encountered severe pushback from investors and lenders who attack its constitutionality and impact on the mortgage business. The Wall Street Journal called it an eminently bad idea, and Ed Pinto, the resident scholar at the American Enterprise Institute, has referred to it as grand theft mortgage. With me today to discuss the California plan is a keen observer of the legalities of the mortgage meltdown. Mark Scarberry teaches bankruptcy at Pepperdine University School of Law in Malibu, California. He's written extensively on mortgage issues in bankruptcy, including a comprehensive critique of proposals to use Chapter 13 to write down residential mortgages. A past resident scholar at the ABI, he's also chair of the AALS section on constitutional law, and has been studying the eminent domain plan. Mark, uh, welcome back to ABI Podcasts. Thanks, Sam. It's great to, to uh, join you for this. Now, um, let me start first with um, the uh, San Bernardino officials. They've been quoted as saying that no decision has been made to push forward with the eminent domain plan, but they're clearly considering it. The plan has been proposed by some well-connected Bay Area financiers and has been blessed by a law professor at Cornell who served as a paid consultant. So first, Mark, let me um, address the constitutional perspective. Uh, After the controversial Supreme Court decision in the Kelo case, could something like this pass constitutional muster? Well, Sam, there are really two questions. First is, uh, whether the taking is for a public uh, for public use, I think after kilo uh, it 's likely that this program can pass that test the uh, The supposed justification for the program is that it would help to prevent the uh, the effects on the communities of uh, the foreclosure of mortgages. Uh, we all know that if in your neighborhood you have a property that's been foreclosed on, perhaps is sitting there empty for several months, 
uh, that can cause all, all sorts of, uh, of problems uh, in your neighborhood. And so that appears to be a legitimate reason uh, for, uh, for engaging in this program. There are two problems, I think, though. One problem is that the program targets performing mortgages, that is, mortgages that are not in default. Those are the mortgages that are the least likely to cause these secondary problems that the program is intended to address. On the other hand, to the extent the program is targeting uh, uh, mortgages where the homeowner is very much underwater, there is a higher chance of, of default on those mortgages than on mortgages where the homeowner is not underwater or not as much underwater. So there could be an argument here that, that there is a public, uh, public purpose of preventing these problems in the cities and neighborhoods. The other problem I see with it is that this is much more directly designed to benefit the particular homeowner rather than the community. And although in Kilo there was a benefit to the developers, I don't think the benefit there was as targeted to them as it is in this case. But that's arguable. Uh, I think there is at least a decent argument here that there is a, a public use that, uh, that's involved in the taking of these, uh, of these mortgages. Now, uh, the other question, though, is the valuation question. But, but before I get to that, I suppose I should say that the taking of intangible rights, the, uh, the, the mortgage debt, for example, of the actual property interest, the lien that the mortgage holder has, those are probably within the eminent domain power now. You may remember the, uh, that Oakland uh, con- attempted to condemn the, uh, the Oakland Raiders franchise. Right. Uh, so the, the chances are that that, that that is within the eminent domain power. Should I go ahead and talk about the valuation question for these purposes? Yeah, well, let's do it in the context of, of maybe how the plan would work. So let's assume it's constitutional. Do, can we do that for a minute? Well, the constitutional in the sense that the taking of the mortgages would be for a public use, but, but the valuation, the money to be paid for the mortgages, is the second half of the constitutional question. Okay, explain that then. Well, the, the Constitution requires just compensation for a taking. Ordinarily, that's going to be seen as the market value of what's being taken. This plan proposes that the mortgages will be taken for no more than 85% of the value of the home. So here we have, for example, a $240,000 mortgage secured by, let's say, a $200,000 home. Well, 85% of the value of the home would be $170,000. So the under the plan, a performing mortgage, that is one that is not in default, would be taken at a um, uh, at at for roughly 71% of the amount of the mortgage. Uh, a uh, we would be looking at here a $70,000, if I've got my math correctly, discount from the face value of the mortgage, even though the mortgage is performing and a 15% discount off the value of the collateral. Now, it doesn't seem to me that a mortgage holder is at all likely to be willing to sell a performing mortgage for less than the value of the collateral, 
even though the mortgage is underwater. So it does seem to me that the program as structured would violate the requirement under the Constitution that just compensation be paid. Okay. So let's assume that it is constitutional. Um, and you, you've started to describe uh, how the plan would work. I take it the, the goal of this difference between uh, the value and what the uh, city is paying is intended to create some kind of borrower equity um, so that when the uh, borrower uh, gets uh, a new mortgage, um, there is some money left over for the city to share with the new investors? Is that the, is that the scheme? Well, it's not entirely clear to me, but, but when you have a, um, the, 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 the plan contemplates a new mortgage being issued for 95% of the value of the home. And the plan, at least Professor Hockett's memo, refers to this as creating safe and sound new mortgages by way of the refinance. Now, that would create a small amount of, of equity for the homeowner. Not a lot, but, uh, but 5%. The, the other part, perhaps the 10% that's left over, we presume, um, because, the, because the mortgage is being taken for 85% of the value of the home, the new mortgage is for 95%. Uh, that seems to leave 10% of, of, of the value of the home hanging there, Presumably, it'll be used to fund the program and provide a profit for the new uh, for the new lenders. That uh, that does seem to raise the possibility that the real purpose of the program is to provide uh, monies for the municipalities, the counties, or the cities, and for the new investors. Now, the the program um, has another uh, limitation in that um, not only is it limited to mortgages that are uh, that are being paid performing loans uh, but it also applies only to loans held in private label securities not loans held by a bank's portfolio or guaranteed by Fannie or Freddie or the FHA now, that seems like an important limitation on the plan's reach um, if you agree and and if so do you have any idea or speculation about why it's structured that way? Well, Professor Hockett's memorandum, that's the memorandum that he, he wrote in support of this of this program. And we should make clear that he's the Cornell law professor who served as the consultant to the plan. Yes, and I've seen it described in various ways. I've seen him described as an unpaid consultant, and as you've suggested, there, there's some indication perhaps he was paid, and I don't know whether he mm -hmm. was or not. Uh, but yes, he's the Cornell law professor who's written a memorandum in support of this of this proposal. He suggests the reason for limiting the program to private label securitization trust mortgages is to reduce the number of parties that would have to be negotiated with, uh, as opposed to um, uh, to other sorts of mortgages. I don't quite understand that rationale for it. It seems to me the more uh, the more persuasive rationale, or the rationale that makes more sense to me, is that uh, you get away from problems with federal regulation, where you have a mortgage that's uh, guaranteed by one of the, by one of the, um, uh, uh, by Fannie or Freddie, and you get away from uh, from other problems that you may have 
with uh, with other kinds of mortgages. But again, I, I'm not quite sure why it's limited in that way. It doesn't make complete sense to mm-hmm. me. And um, we mentioned that these are performing loans, homeowners who are uh, uh, delinquent are not eligible for the for the plan. And some uh, critics have argued that this is a bit of cherry picking by the county and the plans investors transferring a performing loan from one private party to another. What what do you think of the cherry-picking critique? Well, it does seem to me that when the focus, or actually the, 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 the sole application of this is to performing mortgages, you are, in a sense, cherry-picking the particular mortgages that cause the least problems for the communities and the neighborhoods that are affected by foreclosures. And that strikes me as undercutting, to a significant extent, the supposed public purpose for doing this. It, it, it does seem to indicate that the focus is much more on helping the individual homeowner whose home is underwater, which I understand is something that's, that, that is laudable, uh, but it focuses more on that and then perhaps on providing uh, uh, investment returns for the new investors. Now, the argument is that we that the plan has to focus on performing mortgages because the people who have those performing mortgages will tend to have decent credit scores, and they're the people who then will have a chance to get new mortgages uh, at the 95% level, which is what this program uh, contemplates. Certainly, to the extent you take the better more valuable performing mortgages out of the securitization trusts. You leave the securitization trust with mortgages that are less valuable and are going to cause much more uh, in the way of, of costs to the holders of securities in those uh, issued under those securitization trusts. Well, there's one other party that appears to be a beneficiary, um, and that is Mortgage Resolution Partners, the financial group that has floated the, the plan. Uh, it's been reported that they would make a flat fee of $4,500 per condemned mortgage. If you do the arithmetic, um, that works out to a pretty tidy sum for what appears to be repetitive work that doesn't involve actually servicing the mortgage. Uh, do I have that critique right or is there something more to what they're going to be doing? Well, I've seen on the Mortgage Resolution Partners webpage a statement that they will not be paid based on the price that's paid in the condemnation of particular mortgages. So they're arguing that they don't get a share, a percentage share of the low valuation, and, and so they don't have an incentive to undervalue the mortgages. Uh, the $4,500, if that's a correct figure, is a substantial amount of the value of some of these homes out in the Inland Empire. Uh, a lot of these homes have dropped in value very substantially, and $4,500 is a, is a lot of money with respect to, to the value of some of those homes. It, it does seem that it's somewhat repetitive work, although it's also possible, depending on the work that mortgage resolution partners would undertake, the degree to which uh, they would be responsible for the attorney's fees involved, if these 
you may have mul- you may have individual uh, case by case need for judicial valuation of the properties, uh, which may not be cheap. And you know whether the program then is feasible in light of those costs and who might bear those costs, I don't know. Mm-hmm. So at the end of the day, um, it, it is a, a, another sort of very practical reason that might undermine uh, the plan from going forward, assuming that you could solve the constitutional and other litigation issues. Well, yes, I think so. Uh, but, but there is a constitutional issue that we haven't discussed, which is the contract clause. Mm-hmm. Well, the contract clause in the Constitution, in the original body of the Constitution, it's not in an amendment, uh, provides that states, and that would include counties and cities, uh, cannot impair the obligation of contracts. Now, that's not an absolute. Uh, there are kinds of changes in contract rights and remedies that are permitted, but that clause was really targeted at states that, that might attempt to eliminate or, or reduce the debts of people who live in those states. And uh, the thought was that we need to protect the, the commercial integrity of this new uh, nation that's being formed. And so at the heart of the concern of the contract clause is a concern that states not take actions that will in effect, give debtors a discharge of the debts that they owe. And indirectly, this program does exactly that. States aren't permitted to set up discharges of debts the way Congress can under the bankruptcy power. The federal government isn't bound by the contract clause. It specifically applies to the states, which would include subdivisions like cities and counties. This program effectively reduces the amount that debtors have to pay by taking the mortgage, paying it off at less than full value, and then allowing the debtor, the homeowner, to keep the home and refinance. It's, it, I think there's a very, very serious problem here under the contract uh, clause, uh, uh, which again was centrally concerned with states not interfering in substantial ways with uh, with debts so as to allow debtors to pay those debts off and get a discharge for less uh, for less than payment of the full amount and the the contract clause has been to some extent revitalized uh, uh, in the starting in the 1970s uh, uh, after the Blaisdell case back during the depression had upheld a temporary a temporary state provision holding off foreclosure on mortgages, but nowhere near as severe a program as the one that's being, that's being proposed here. Mm-hmm. But, but that had upheld a program. But the Allied Structural Steel versus Spanhaus case back in 1978 uh, really revived contract clause protection of private contracts, went back to Blaisdell, and, and explained that all of the factors that allowed the program in Blaisdell back during the Depression to be upheld needed to be there. And it seems to me in this case, you'd have permanent, uh, a permanent effect on the contract rights of the lender, of the mortgagees. And, and the primary beneficiary would be the private person, the borrowers. And, and there's very substantial reliance 
on federal and state law that protects mortgage holders, including protection under the bankruptcy code against modification of most home right. mortgages. In that right. context, it seems that there is at the very least a, a strong possibility that this program would violate uh, the, the provision of the Constitution prohibiting states from impairing the obligation of contract. Mm-hmm. Do you think at the end of the day, Mark, um, given the legal issues that you've identified, which clearly would be litigated extensively uh, by some deep-pocketed lenders and investors and the like, at the end of the day, is the plan, do you think, uh, floated merely as a way to encourage more voluntary loan mods that require principal reduction? I don't know, Sam. I, I, to the extent this is de- this is designed to encourage uh, to encourage those sorts of modifications, it 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 seems ill-targeted that uh, that to to target the performing mortgages, those are the ones where modifications I think are least likely to be uh, palatable, and certainly modifications at this level are least likely to be palatable to the uh, to the lenders. But it, it may well be that this is a shot across the bows. Uh, states don't have a lot of power here to deal with this issue, other than, uh, as, uh, as, as some states have done, require some negotiation or mediation, uh, to some degree provide extra time uh, uh, before the foreclosure can take place, provide perhaps stronger standards to protect the homeowner uh, during the more during the foreclosure, uh, but um, and of course the the primary protection that homeowners have, at least in some states, including often in California, would be the non-recourse nature of the mortgage obligation. Uh, many mortgages in California or elsewhere and elsewhere simply are not personal obligations of the borrower. Right. Uh, but many of the loans, many of the mortgages that would be taken here are are. Uh, are refis, and at least under California law, when you refinance a purchase money mortgage, there is personal liability on the uh, on the uh, on the new mortgage. So uh, that protection is not there for many homeowners. To the extent that lenders actually seek deficiency judgments and go through the procedural hoops required them for them to keep uh, the ability to seek a deficiency is. Uh, I'm not sure. I, I, I think in many cases mortgage uh, mortgagees are not going through those hoops and, and not attempting to uh, to collect on the deficiencies. But there is that possibility. And to the extent that this program would take not only the mortgage lien but also the debt from the uh, from the lender, where the mortgage is recourse, that creates even more serious problems under the contract clause. Right. Well, we will follow it and uh, see what the county and um, nearby cities uh, decide to do, if it is a matter of simply negotiating or leverage, or if uh, this is actually an issue that will be uh, litigated, um, uh, would uh, spawn much more uh, commentary uh, if that's the case. From the standpoint of a law professor, that's not all bad. Right. 
we're in the CLE business, so we we like uh, we like interesting legal issues too. So, but that's the time we have uh, for today, and look forward to continuing to follow the developments. And Mark, thank you very much for your time and insights today. Well, thank you very much, Sam. And we thank our audience for listening. There are more than one hundred podcasts available at our homepage. Uh, please click on the link from the homepage at abi.org or view them in our revised newsroom section uh, at news.abi.org slash podcast. Until next time, this is ABI Executive Director Sam Giordano saying good day.